as I read this morning's scripture. Second Corinthians four, verse eight, Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore we speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Father, we ask as we open the word of God to continue now in our worship, that Lord, you would, in a sense, through these verses, just stamp an eternal perspective upon our heart in a fresh and a new way by your spirit. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive. And we ask that your spirit would minister the truth and that we'd hear your voice this morning in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, the word perspective refers to your attitude towards something or your way of viewing or seeing a particular matter. And having a right perspective versus having a wrong perspective on something can and will make a huge difference in how we handle such. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know anyone who really enjoys suffering in any form. And as a result of that, however, I think many a times people do all they can to avoid suffering. And let me just go so far as to say, from my observation, I feel like that we live in a generation today and particularly in American culture, that actually promotes the importance of self-preservation. Just pay attention to our culture and what the mantra sort of is, and we live in a generation today in an American culture that actually promotes self-preservation. In other words, do everything that you can. Do all that you absolutely can to shield yourself, to protect yourself, to keep yourself safe, and to do everything possible to avoid all struggle or any potential risk or harm. That is sort of the mindset that we have poured into one another, and the idea is make all the efforts and decisions you know how based off of what protects your own best interest. But my question this morning in light of that is this, what if earthly struggles... What if hardships, what if even suffering at times are one of the best divine tools to deepen our relationship with the Lord? 
What if those things actually become one of the most effective things that the Lord can use in our experience with him? Paul, through his own experience as being led by the Holy Spirit here, seems to be addressing that very subject. God, to me, in these verses we're in, kind of challenges our perspective on suffering. It's almost as if God says, look, I know what perspective you may have towards suffering or the risk of any self-harm, but in light of such things, let me remind you, they could potentially give you a deeper experience spiritually, or they could actually have some value and benefit to your life personally and eternally. Here we get in these verses, I think, a biblical perspective that the Christian should hold in regards to struggles on this earth. We see that struggles can help our spiritual lives. They make us more sensitive to the things that are spiritual and eternal, and that's certainly a beneficial thing. And struggles also enable us really to be more effective to help other people around us and to help people spiritually foremost. The backdrop, as we left off last time there in verse 7, Paul has just described how God has chosen to store this valuable, he called it a treasure, this treasure of Christ in you and in me, the very spirit of the Lord being within us, the very gospel treasure, the word of God being given to us to share with others, that God has chosen to store these things that are so valuable in these earthly clay pots of our human vessels as we walk around. That God has taken the most precious, valuable thing that there is now and for all eternity, and he has put that within us as these weak, frail individuals in these weak human bodies in order to show the excellence of his power and that it's all about his power and not about our human strength. And now he then begins to describe how these weak, frail vessels, these human bodies Undergo, undergo at times just like clay weak vessels in that day brokenness and at times it was easy to break an earthen vessel and our bodies are weak clay vessels so he starts to describe the brokenness we can go through as human beings from time to time look how he begins in verse 8 if i can draw your attention there again paul says we are hard pressed on every side yet not crushed we're perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. So Paul here, contrary to many wrong perspectives, which even are propagated among what we call the so-called church of what it means to faithfully serve Jesus, Paul, who had great faith in Jesus, Paul, whose ministry team was very faithful in serving Jesus and doing the will of God, you notice they were not immune from struggles. They were not people who had a perfect, healthy, wealthy, prosperous life all the time. And they had faith in Jesus. They were faithful to Jesus. And yet that did not spare them from at times dealing with hardships. Nor was Paul trying, does it seem, to avoid hardships or to do things to avoid all risk or potential suffering or difficulty in his life. In fact, sometimes serving the Lord meant he had to put himself at risk. He had to endure struggles and hardships. Paul, it seems, embraced that as a normal part of the experience of a Christian life, that from time to time there would be difficulties. And he gives here really kind of four examples of hard experiences and how they overcame such things in a spirit of faith and with a right 
perspective. The first thing he says there, one example, he says, verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, he says, yet not crushed. Now, that idea of being hard-pressed is language that speaks of being under severe pressure, like the wine press, that you're under severe pressure, troubles pushing in on you from every side like you're being squeezed in every direction because you're under the weight of multiple burdens. That's what Paul's describing. And yet Paul says, despite all the weight and the many pressures, the hardships and the sufferings that we find ourselves undergoing, he says, yet in those things, we are not crushed by those things. Yes, we are under pressure. We are being forced into difficult things, but he says, we're not crumbling under those things. We're not caving in under those things. We're not falling apart. The severe pressure and hardships they were undergoing, Paul saying, they did not ruin our lives. We didn't let them ruin our lives. We wouldn't allow that to happen. Apparently, from what the Bible shows us here, there will be times in the Christian life that we will be under great pressures. There will be times that whether we follow Jesus faithfully or whether we are not following Jesus faithfully, we will still find ourselves under great pressures. When we can go through times when we are hard-pressed, squeezed from every side under the weight of many burdens because it's just part of life. It's part of earthly existence. On top of that, there are times where when you faithfully choose to follow Jesus, you may bring more pressure into your life because you're going to try and serve the Lord in a world that is very opposed to that. But notice, though we at times may be under great pressure, the Bible says that does not have to completely crush us as an individual. We can be squeezed without being squashed, if you would. We can go through hard things without completely becoming hopeless and letting it destroy us as a person. Paul goes on to say, verse 8, we are also perplexed but not in despair. The word perplexed means you don't have all the answers. When you're perplexed, it means you don't understand what's going on or why it's going on, and it means you don't know what to do. It means you could be experiencing a situation and you're not sure what the answer is. You just don't know what the solution is. You don't know which way to go. You don't know which way to turn. Apparently, there were times when Paul felt perplexed. He honestly just did not know where to turn. He didn't know what he was supposed to do. He didn't know what the next step was. He was genuinely wrestling with questions. Yet Paul says, though at times we may be completely perplexed, look what he says, though we may be perplexed, we do not allow ourselves to fall into despair. The word despair speaks of being depressed. It speaks of being despondent, of feeling just hopeless, just a lack of, of any clarity and unanswered question, Paul says that happened, but we did not let that experience when we were perplexed, we didn't let it paralyze us under a dark cloud of depression that completely sabotaged our entire lives mentally and emotionally and spiritually. He said, we did not give in to that. We didn't let it make us totally lose all hope. Look again, can I remind you from what we see in God's word? Apparently, there will be times, even as a Christian, when you're not going to have all the answers. 
You may genuinely be in a situation where you are just perplexed. You're not sure what to do. Yet the answer in that time is not giving in to feelings of being depressed to the point of being paralyzed mentally and emotionally. The answer to that is not giving into a condition where you fall into utter despair and you lose all hope and you just give up on life altogether. That's not God's design. He says here, yes, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. He goes on, verse 9, and at times we're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. To be persecuted means to be mistreated in various ways due to what you believe. Due to your faithfulness to the Lord, you're actually punished or mistreated because of what you believe or the way that you behave in trying to honor the Lord. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, I'm sure this is highlighted as a Bible promise in all your Bibles. Here it is. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's probably on everyone's refrigerator. I'm sure it's on your mirror, right? Man, thank you for that promise, Lord. You mean to tell me if I live really godly in my relationship with Christ Jesus that I get to suffer persecution? Wow, Lord. That, but that's a Bible promise because God understands. Jesus spoke about even in John chapter 15. Remember, Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you sometimes too because my spirit is at work and alive in you. And so we will at times experience mistreatment for our faith and commitment to the Lord. But yet he says, in those times, though we may have been cast aside by people, he says, we've not been forsaken by the Lord. Because he said, people may brush us off and push us aside. He says, yes, persecuted and mistreated by people, cast aside by people. But he says, but we're not forsaken by the Lord because the Lord's still on our side. And if God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us, right? Or the other way looking at that is who cares? Because at least God's for us. That's the other way behind that. And so here he finds this encouragement. The Lord's still with us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Perspective. It's the perspective that Paul's addressing. Fourthly, he mentions in verse 9, one other hardship he went through. He says, at times, we also feel like we are struck down. I love this language. This is one of my favorite in the four. Struck down, but not destroyed. The idea there of being struck down implies that you've been knocked down by a, by a hard blow or by multiple hard blows. That's the picture there. When something has happened or multiple things have happened in your life that have left you flat on your back. You've been struck down. You've been welted up, knocked out. You're on your back or face down and you are hurting. You're disoriented. You're in a place where you feel completely defeated. And Paul says in hopefulness, in a spirit of faith, yes, we're down, but we're not destroyed. Yes, we've been struck down, but we're not destroyed. In other words, you, you almost sense a little bit of that Rocky Balboa coming out of Paul there. You know, the, I, that, that's the idea here. The fight's not over yet. Yeah, I may have lost a round. I might have lost a few rounds, but I didn't hear the final bell yet. There's still more rounds left. I may be knocked down, but yet you can always still get back up, right, in a fight and give it another round or two. You can even go for the comeback win, right? That's why we all love a Rocky movie. 
My favorite line in Rocky, you know, well, there's many of them, but my favorite line, it's in that memory bank right there, when he walks up and he's pulverizing, he goes, one more round. <laughs> and everybody's going, no, Rocky, just die, just die. One more round. And then he wins, right? Struck down, but not destroyed. And that's the idea there. Sometimes in life, we find ourselves kind of feeling like that. Maybe recently you have been struck down. Maybe recently some things have happened. You've taken some blows. Look, there is a God of hope who can give you by his power and by his wisdom, the strength to realize you are down. Yes, but you're not done. You're not done. You're sitting here in a church this morning. You're far from done. You can be down, but it doesn't mean that you're done. God can help you to get up and to give it another round. To overcome, to go for the comeback win. The Lord, by his grace, is a God of victory, and he can help us to rally even when we're down. I love Paul. He says, yes, he says, yeah, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're not destroyed. We're still able to keep pressing forward Trusting the Lord will give us the victory ultimately. Paul then here describes going onward how even Jesus' human sufferings led to what? His triumphant victory. And it's almost as if Paul illustrates this now with Jesus. As those who live with Jesus, united to our Lord, with his spirit working inside of us, our earthly human sufferings sometimes become the very thing that produce greater spiritual fruit in living for Christ. It's almost as if we're going to see in verse 10 and 11, it's almost as if Paul kind of saw this like a necessary pattern. It's almost like Paul was saying, look, it's almost a necessary pattern that you have to get struck down and die to yourself to ultimately be raised up and walk in victory and overcoming power, just like Jesus was struck down and died, and then he overcame in power afterwards in victory. Look what he says. He says, we're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. No, Paul, keep yourself alive. He says, we're always carrying around the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus, verse 10, may be manifested in our body. For we, verse 11, who are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus, he says again repetitiously, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So Paul here describes just like Jesus, we, as we live in a relationship with him, faithfully trying to serve his purposes, have to be willing to die to ourselves if we're going to let him live his life through us, which is ultimately the epitome of what the Christian life is to be about. And so for emphasis, Paul repeats, you notice in verse 10 and 11, the same principle restating the same thing twice. The first thing he says is that just like Jesus, we have to be willing to allow ourselves at times to suffer and even to a degree die personally, giving up our life if we are going to experience all the Lord wants to do through our lives. He says, as we live on this earth as a Christian trying to serve the Lord, Paul says there, verse nine, we are always, that means continually on a routine basis, he says, carrying around in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. The idea is that we are always having to die to ourselves. It's continual. We're always in this process as we walk with Christ of learning how 
to face things that can cause us to suffer and to struggle because what it's doing is degree by degree, it's causing us to die more to ourselves, to die to who we are personally. And he says, this is all really for Jesus' sake because we want to honor him foremost. And he says, it's as we die to ourselves, the reason he emphasizes two times, verse 10 And the end of verse 11, why do we have to die to ourselves? He says, so that the life of Jesus can be manifested, the idea is revealed in our mortal bodies, that through our life being put to death, the life of Christ is more free to live through us. That is, there is less of me, there is more of him. So that as we die personally, the life of Jesus can be demonstrated through my life to other people. As you experience God allowing you to go through things where it is death to yourself to a degree or putting yourself at risk or allowing yourself in a sense to be struck down in some way, it allows the life of Christ to be revealed through you in a greater and greater way. Jesus has more opportunity to live out his life. Paul saw that as they encountered things that made them die to themselves, it actually was a beneficial pattern just like Jesus's life because he says it's through those very things that the spirit of the Lord does greater things in our lives. It's through those things that Jesus takes more control on the inside and he's glorified more and he expresses himself through our lives in a greater way. Paul says, as we die to ourselves, it lets Jesus live through us in a much greater way. And as I said, is that not really what the essence biblically of what being a Christian is about? Dying to our old way of life and allowing the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us as a Christian to be lived out through us. We now are the body of Christ, right? At one time, Jesus was on this earth. He took upon himself a physical body of flesh and he manifested God to humanity as he lived in a body of flesh. Well, Jesus died. He resurrected. He ascended back to heaven. And the Bible says now as Christians, individually as the church, we are the body of Christ. That is his spirit now inhabits us. And he says, now I want to reveal myself to the world through you. But a part of that process, Tony, is this. We can't have two Christians in the same body. So you have to die so that I can live. And so we need to continually be putting you to death and the death of your flesh and the death of who you are and the death of everything about you so that I can manifest more and more my life and who I am. And it's about letting Jesus use our life to reveal himself and to reach others and serve people. Look, this morning, perhaps you say, man, I just feel like recently all my life experiences have been killing me. I feel like they've been killing me. Well, maybe God's up to something. I don't know. I don't like those things either. But sometimes the very things that we feel like in life are killing us are sometimes the very catalyst where the Lord is working in those things. And more than that, he's working through those things. And in that process, he's able to demonstrate himself and work through those things. And look, let me just say this. If we allow ourselves to fall prey to this thing where we are always trying to preserve our own life, we can honestly start to hinder the work of the spirit of the Lord within our life. If we fought, Jesus said that that in order to find your life, you have to actually lose it, right? But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. That is, we find the life that he wants for us. And so we have to be careful. The Lord's intention is to work through us. John said that I must decrease so that he 
can increase. And Paul emphasizes that very pattern he saw happening on a regular basis. Paul goes on, verse 12, to say, so then, in light of that, death is working, notice, in us, but he says, life is working in you. So Paul, who had this heart of love for people, shows us again there, he had what? A right perspective. Do you see his perspective there? He was willing to endure hard things and struggles to serve the Lord because he realized, okay, the more I endure struggles from time to time, he says to the Corinthians, as I'm dying to myself and death is working in us, he says it's actually bringing benefit and life and improvement to you. So Paul here emphasizes this reality that their sufferings produce a pathway for strengthening and helping other people's lives to be better. And this is really a principle, honestly, for all of us to remember. A proper spiritual perspective and redemptive love is this, that the more that we die to ourselves and our way of life, the more we'll be able to improve other people's lives. See, Jesus' love was redemptive. He died to himself, but in the death of himself, he imparted a much better life to us, correct? See, that's redemptive love. And whatever that looks like in my life and your life, the more we are willing to die to ourselves, the more we will be able, as the Spirit works through us, to improve the lives of other people, to bring benefit to the lives of those around us. Paul says, verse 13, and since we have the same spirit of faith, According to what's written, and he quotes here Psalm 116, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore we speak, knowing, verse 14, that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So why did Paul keep speaking despite the fact that he was being persecuted, struck down, I mean, going through hard things? because he trusted that the Lord would accomplish good things as he kept just stubbornly doing what was right. It's one of the greatest gifts that somebody like Paul the Apostle contributed to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ. He was just like that little energizer bunny. He just kept going and going. And I don't know how many times people probably had said to Paul, I wonder if Dr. Luke, every time he's patching Paul back up on their missionary journeys, Lumps on his head, and he's got, you know, sewing his head back together again. Just, Paul, really? I mean, why don't you just send Timothy out there next time? He's younger. Let him get beat up. And here, Paul, he just, but he was just stubborn and persistent. And he just kept going and going and going. And Paul says, the reason why, he says, despite the challenges, is Paul just trusted. He says, like the psalmist, he just trusted that I just trust if I keep doing what's right, that eventually... Ultimately, the Lord will do something good through that. And he quotes Psalm 116. He says, therefore, just like in the same spirit of faith, the psalmist said, I believed and therefore I spoke. He quotes from Psalm 116. There the psalmist describes how he was enduring hard times. But though he was enduring hard times, he believed the Lord would bring ultimate victory because he had seen the Lord do good things in his life before. And so because of that, the psalmist says, yes, I'm going through a hard time but I'm going to continue to speak of what is true and right because I've seen the Lord work in the past and I believe in a spirit of faith that the Lord will ultimately work and bring about what's good in the end. Paul says here, in the same manner, despite our struggles and hardships, even being hard-pressed and struck down and perplexed, Paul says in the same, look what he says, in the same spirit of faith that is trusting the Lord what he can do, we believe and that's why we speak. 
Paul says our mindset is the same. We keep speaking what we know to be true because we're depending on God to ultimately work through us doing right things. And I love that little phrase there Paul uses in verse 13, those three words, a spirit of faith. Boy, how important that is to have a spirit of faith because that's what sustains us in hard times. It's a spirit of faith that keeps us going forward because it's the opposite of a spirit of doubt which can run us into the ground and what paralyzes us and shuts us down. And I tell you, folks, that is exactly what the devil wants to do. What the devil wants to do is fill your heart with a spirit of doubt and a spirit of depression and a spirit of hopelessness and to make you despair and to crush your spirit. Yet the Bible says we live and we walk by faith, not by sight. Or in other ways, let me give you my version. We walk by faith, not by feelings. By faith. Feelings may be real. I'm not diminishing that. But just because they're real doesn't mean they're right. And you got to learn how to distinguish that as a person. Hey, these are real feelings. I really feel this way. I, I do. I go through that. You, go, But they're real feelings, not delegitimizing that. But they're not right feelings because we walk by faith, not by feelings. We walk by faith, not by what it looks like with our sight. And didn't Jesus always become so blessed when he saw people with a spirit of faith, right, in the Gospels? He was amazed when he saw people with faith. And Jesus often did powerful things in response to trust, right, to faith, to those who are willing to have confidence in a spirit of faith. And look, certainly I am not endorsing, you know, this foolish positive confession. If you in a spirit of faith proclaim something, you can bring about your own reality and obligate God to do things. God's not a genie. That's ridiculous. But what the Bible does teach, however, is a spirit of faith that believes in a God who is good and has power to do things. And that we have a spirit of faith and balance that trusts and we speak in confidence, hey, I believe the Lord's going to work. I do. I'm going to choose to believe the Lord's going to work. And that we pray in a spirit of faith, believing God's listening, believing God has the power to act and to answer. And that we speak God's truth, whether it's the gospel or the word of God, in a spirit of faith with confidence, believing God's word is powerful, incorruptible seed. And if I deposit that in someone's heart like a seed, eventually in time, that incorruptible seed will blossom something spiritually in that person eventually. And so in a spirit of faith, we sow the word of God and we convey to others in a spirit of faith, we believe and therefore we speak. Yes, this may be a hard time, but I believe the Lord's working still. And I believe ultimately the Lord is going to bring about something. And Paul says in a spirit of faith in verse 14, we choose to speak because he says, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus after he what died will also in same pattern raise us up with Jesus and present us with you. So Paul was relying on the unchanging nature of God. And he says, look, in the same way that God raised up Jesus, his son, who what? Did the will of God. He glorified the heavenly father. He walked in what was righteous. And when it appeared that Jesus was totally defeated and struck down, what did God do? God raised him up. God raised him up. You may fairly say when it looked like the worst possible, that's when God raised Jesus. 
And Paul says, look, in the same manner, though we now suffer, we may be struck down, we may appear defeated, sometimes when it looks the absolute worst possible in our lives, that may be when God raises us up and brings victory after a time of defeat and restores and resurrects and does something wonderful. And Jesus' victory becomes our victory because we're one together with Jesus. And just like we share in his sufferings and the death to ourselves, we also share in that resurrection victory power. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about how through that connection to Christ, he says God gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what a wonderful thing to have that blessed assurance, that hopefulness and a spirit of faith to carry on. Where Paul says, verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through many, may then cause, notice, thanksgiving, we might say worship and praise, to abound to the glory of God. So Paul had a proper perspective on why he needed to endure through hardship at times and keep persevering and keep honoring the Lord. Because Paul and his team understood that the faithful Christian life does what? It reflects Jesus's life and Jesus's experience. And what did Jesus' life reflect? Jesus' life was about what? Serving others. It was all for our sake. Jesus came and he said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived in a manner where he served and sacrificed and even endured hard things. Why? For our sake, for the sake of others. And Paul says here in the same way, he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, all that we do, because we're trying to live like Christ, letting him lead us, all things we do, it's for your sakes. The sacrifices, the serving, what we do, it's for your sakes, we carry on. That's why we will, Paul says, endure through hardship that's why we will face risks we'll face risks because it's for your sake paul says it's not about us it's for your sake and as he says as a result of this many people now were experiencing the grace of god it was spreading touching many and it's causing he says thanksgiving to abound to the glory of god paul says as a result of us doing this more people are worshiping god hooray <laughs> paul says that's really what it's all about we're getting more people to worship God. Hey, can I remind you this morning, the Christian life is not about just living for our sake alone. It's about living for the sake of others, encouraging, inspiring other Christians, reaching lost souls. The greatest purpose of your life, the greatest purpose of my life is not keeping me safe, keeping me comfortable. It's helping other people. Serving others as we serve our Lord and being a blessing and let our life be a useful vessel. Paul says, verse 16, therefore, in light of these things, that's why he says, we do not lose heart. See, it was Paul's proper perspective spiritually that though indeed times tempted them to lose heart, Paul says, it's the proper perspective that keeps us from, from just losing heart altogether. And look, for the same is true for all of us. Indeed, there are going to be times, if you haven't noticed yet, when we're going to be tempted to lose heart. You're going to go through things. I go through things. We all endure different times and seasons where what we experience tempts us to lose heart, to give up. 
But I tell you this morning on the authority of what God's word says, not what feelings say, that by the grace of God in a right perspective, we can keep going. Doesn't the Bible say to us in Galatians chapter 6, Paul wrote there, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Or the idea is give up. And notice, Paul, oh, Paul, it's easy. Of course, Paul can write that. I mean, he's a spiritual superhero. Of course, he can write that. Wait a minute. Didn't Paul say, let us, let us not grow weary in well-doing? Paul, you mean sometimes you grow weary in doing good things? Yeah, I do. But he says, let us not lose heart. For He says, in due season, in God's right timetable, he says, we will experience the fruitful harvest of doing what's good and right if we don't lose heart. What's the key? Just keep at it. Keep at it, right? Paul said in the last chapter, we're being transformed. It's a process. And the Lord is working in us, and the Lord is working through us. And Paul says, therefore, we will not lose heart. He says, verse 16, even though, look what he says, our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Notice the Bible here drills down to give us the anchor for our soul. As we come to the close of the chapter, Paul's going to kind of sink down the anchor now. And he says, look, it's this perspective that will secure you in the midst of struggles. And what is it? He mentions here, the Bible shows us there is an outward man and there's an inward man. This is something the world knows nothing about. But the Bible reminds us, look, there is a physical life and everything we experience physically. And then there's the inward man, the inward life. That is the true you, your spirit, your soul, the part of you that will last forever. And Paul says, our outward man, our outward person, what does he say about it there? Verse 16, look at it. He says it's perishing. The picture there is like a piece of fruit that's rotting. That's a great encouraging thing, isn't it, for your body this morning? That's what the Bible's picture is. We are made of the dust of the earth. The breath of God's life is breathed into us, but we are physical, frail, clay, earthen vessels. And because of that, the Bible says our outward man, these physical bodies, they're decaying. They're in a process of perishing, falling apart. That is a biblical reality. And look, it's an important biblical reality to hold on to to accept and to understand that physical body that you have, the body that I have, it's destined to fall apart. And it's destined to struggle. And it's destined to die. It's not lasting forever. And we can do everything possible that we think is important to invest in the way that we eat and exercise and do this and do that to stop the deterioration process, but it's inevitable. It's inevitable. All those who are older in the room this morning are nodding their heads real hard on the just, amen. It's inevitable, right? It's a natural process. So therefore, what would that tell me? That the primary focus foremost should not be fixing, preserving, and doing everything I can to invest in my physical body. I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of the temple that God has given to us. Yet the way that many conduct themselves, it seems their highest investment day by day is their physical health, which is a losing battle because that's perishing. It's not going to last. 
But Paul says, though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man, the soul, the spirit, the part of you that's eternal, the true you that will last for all of eternity, he says that's being renewed day by day. Paul and his team were going through hard things, enduring suffering, but Paul says, but day by day, our inward life, day by day, our inward person, it's being revitalized. It's being rejuvenated and refreshed. How? Through ongoing experiences that they were having with the Lord. The Bible declares that times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing, the inward life can be refreshed and rejuvenated by being in the presence of the Lord. As we spend time worshiping the Lord, as we spend time praying and seeking the Lord, as we spend time being in the word of God, listening to hear the voice of the Lord, the Bible says that through those things, the inward life can be renewed, rejuvenated, refreshed and strengthened. Life can be brought back where the wind has gone out of our sails. And Paul's focus was on that ongoing restoration and renewal of what? The inward life. That's where Paul was focused. Day by day, he says, Our inner life, our spirit is being sustained in the challenges. In this sin-cursed world, yes, we're weak and sinful people, but Paul says we need daily internal renewal. This is what we long for, that day by day we can have our inward life renewed by the Spirit of the Lord. And look, what's our part in that? Well, the Bible tells us our part, and that is this, waiting on the Lord. Those who wait on the Lord, Isaiah says, shall renew their strength. That is spending time with the Lord, keeping ourselves in the love of God, as Jude says. Ephesians 3 speaks of being strengthened with might and power by his spirit in the inner man. The idea is that God, by his supernatural enablement, can empower us with inner strength for this life's journey. Because look, your, your body can be falling apart, but if your spirit is strong, it's amazing what people can do when their body is suffering and falling apart, if their spirit is strong inwardly. And how much more true is that for the Christian? To have our inward spirit strengthened by the spirit of the Lord, our primary priority is maintaining and cultivating our inner man. I love Proverbs 4.23. This is one of my top few favorite Bible verses. It gives us practical advice telling us this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. What's our priority? Tend the garden of your heart. Work at keeping your heart, your inner man in a right condition. And he says, because out of that, everything in your life is going to spring forth. It, it, it is, it's like the river that will send streams in every direction of your life. So you keep your heart, let your inner man be strengthened. How wonderful that though our physical life can be deteriorating our inward person day by day, every day can be strengthened and made healthier and stronger. And really that is what matters most. So Paul, therefore, in light of that says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. He says, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice Paul endured hardship and suffering. We're gonna see in chapter six and then in chapter 11, Paul's gonna describe being shipwrecked being beaten. I mean, all these hardships that he genuinely went through. I mean, genuine personal hardships and suffering. But look at the way Paul classifies that. He says, our light affliction, light. That seems pretty heavy, Paul. 
But Paul says, no, honestly, he says it's perspective because when I weigh it on the scale, that great pressure, that mistreatment, yeah, those are heavy difficulties, but in comparison to eternal realities, man, it's kind of light, it's kind of light stuff. It's the perspective. Paul classified it as not that big of a deal, the hardships. He says, why? Because verse 17, they only last, my Bible says, for a moment. The idea is they're just momentary. It's not long-term suffering. Listen, for the Christian, this life is the most hell you're ever going to experience. For the unconverted soul, for the person who doesn't want anything to do with Jesus, this life, oy vey, is the most heaven they ever get. And not for a moment, but forever, they will suffer worse than they're ever suffering now. So Paul says, yeah, we suffer, but it's momentary. It's temporary. It's why we're in a body on earth. But one day, there's this glorious, eternal thing that's coming. That's why Paul says these afflictions, look what he says, verse 17, they're working for us. Underline the word for us, not against us. When we go through hard things, what do we tend to think naturally? Man, this is working against me. This is, this is stopping me, hindering. And Paul says, no, the, the hardships in life, they're not working against us. Paul says, actually, they're things, they're divine tools that actually are working for us. They're working for us, he says, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul realized that through pain and problems and hardships, it gives us a perspective. And sometimes what it does is help us to appreciate more the eternal realities of heaven. What's coming one day, the glorious eternal experience. Revelation 21 says God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. See, that future experience, Paul says, far exceeds the importance of earthly challenges. That future glorious experience that's coming outweighs, he says, all the hardships of earth. And if you put the two on the scale, he says, they're not even close. Paul would say to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. See, this is the perspective. We all suffer in various ways, and our current sufferings now are not working against us. They're actually working for us. And the reason they're working for us is because I know in my life, they give me a greater attachment to what's real. And they give me a greater appreciation in hopefulness that there's something beyond this world where there's no more pain. There's no more funerals to do. There's no more suffering and broken families and ruined lives from drugs and alcohol and pornography and broken marriages and, and abused children. None of that exists anymore. And the hardships, in a way, they, they do something in us where they work in us to say, yes, Lord, heaven, man, Lord, heaven. Thank goodness there's heaven beyond this. And Paul says, this is what they actually do for us he concludes verse 18 to show it's all about perspective. While we do not look at, look what he says, we don't look at the things which are seen. 
but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul lands this whole ship on this section, again, perspective, right? That's where he comes back to. He comes back to perspective. He instructs how do we keep going through earthly struggles? How do we not allow ourselves to get destroyed? He says, well, we have to consciously choose to maintain a right perspective. We can't let ourselves, our minds, and our focus be fixated on things that are going to discourage us. And we must, at the same time, fix our gaze on what the primary focus is, which is eternal realities. He says, we cannot focus too much on the things which are, he says there, verse 18, what? Seen. That is physical, material, temporal, current things, because he says those things are all temporary. That is earthly circumstances, what we're going through in our personal lives and in the world. He says we we can't fixate too much on that stuff. We can't become overly focused on everything temporary that's happening now because it will just destroy us as a human being. But he says what we need to do is look at those things which are unseen because those unseen things are the eternal things. That is the things that we know with an eye of faith truly matter. The kingdom of God, what's real and lasting, keeping an eternal focus, focusing on the Lord and the glory that awaits us. How important perspective is. How important perspective is. Because it greatly influences our attitudes and our actions. That's why the Bible tells us, Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Would to God as Christians today, if we thought more about things above than everything the media tells us is going on on the earth from every category you want to put into that. Set your mind on things above. The Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus. 